Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, it's been a little while since the last episode in which we talked about uh, Ford versus Ferrari, but uh, uh, this month, I don't know, whatever you want to say, this time, this installment, uh, we're going to be talking about Matt Reeves' The Batman. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to talk about a few things uh, off the top. Um, first off, my documentary, Valley of the Shadow, uh, The Spiritual Value of Horror, is uh, still available on Rediscover Television, uh, which is a, a streaming platform that is currently uh, available. You can watch it on your computer, but you can all, it is only, uh, only available on Roku right now. Uh, but uh, they are expanding. I should say we are expanding. I actually work for Rediscover Television, um, and that also means that uh, I do a, a video movie review show called Rediscover Movies. Uh, I did a recent review of the Batman uh, on there as well. But uh, you can find that show on YouTube, actually. Just uh, search for Rediscover Television and subscribe to uh, that YouTube channel. And uh, check out the streaming platform as well. I, I enjoy working for them, and uh, I've uh, tried to contribute where I can. Um, and then also, just a quick announcement that I'm going to be at the International Christian Film Festival this year, which is in early May in Orlando. So uh, feel free to get tickets to that, and uh, I'm going to be giving a talk called uh, Missional Movie Making, and I will have a, a table so you can come up and say hi and all that. Um, Valley of the Shadow is an official selection of the film festival, but I don't know if it's actually going to be shown. I will uh, make announcements on the uh, MTOL Facebook and Twitter page uh, as I find out more. Uh, and then the last thing, um, I didn't mention this in the previous episode, but um, Will Ryan, who uh, was on the show last year, uh, passed away a few months ago. And um, Will was a super nice guy. Uh, it was nice of him to be on the show, and I really appreciate that. But uh, but more than that, um, he was a big part of uh, of my childhood and in fact probably a lot of people's childhood without them knowing it he was uh, a very uh, busy voice actor who <laughs> did voices on I remember the big thing for me when I was a kid was Teddy Ruxpin he did a, vo uh, a, a voice on Teddy Ruxpin but then also if you're familiar at all with uh, Adventures in Odyssey the radio drama from and and occasional cartoon show from focus on the family then uh you're very familiar with will's work um he primarily did the voice of uh, eugene on there and uh, he really uh was a talented guy and once again a very nice guy uh it was very nice of him to come on the show and uh yeah it's uh, sad to see that he had uh, had passed away but uh, uh just wanted to acknowledge acknowledge him 
So, um, okay, we will go ahead and start our conversation about Matt Reeves, the Batman. If, like me, you were really anticipating the film, uh, chances are you first saw like the initial teaser way back in August of, I think, 2020. I remember um, before <laughs> Jen and I, uh, we, we traveled to Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where we were going to adopt uh, our, or we were waiting for uh, the, the twins to be born. Um, but before, but like two days before we did, uh, the trailer came out and I was just like, and even though Jen and I were like preparing for this huge new event in our lives, I was like, Jen, watch this trailer, watch this trailer. Uh, and, and I watched it a few times. I was very excited, uh, for the movie for a few reasons. One, I was just really excited for the, the tone of the film, the visual aesthetic of the film. Uh, at the time it was all rumors, but people were saying like, oh, this is like, uh, you know, Batman as like an investigator, as, as a detective. Um, and that was intriguing to me. Uh, and it, it, it seemed that Riddler was going to be a big presence in the film. So that was also very exciting to me. Um, so I was I, I was really anticipating this movie and uh, and I saw it. Uh, the first chance I got, I went to a 3 p.m. show uh, on Thursday. Uh, the day before it came out, um, because I did not get a, a critic screening invite, uh, which is okay. You know, that's not every studio has to, uh, you know, be uh, be on board uh, the more than one lesson train, which is still leaving the station, by the way. It's taken a while, but it's leaving the station, and, you know, you don't want to be left behind. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I was super excited to see it, but I also went in a little bit trepidatious, because... I thought like, oh, this could be a movie that takes itself really seriously, um, too seriously. Um, and also Matt Reeves as a director, I'm not, I'm, I'm really only familiar with him as a function of the, uh, the apes movies. Um, he did the second and third one, I believe. And I didn't necessarily love them. I, I appreciated them, but I also thought that from a storytelling standpoint, they always kind of fumbled the ball towards the end. Um, it always felt like we were building towards something and then the climax comes and it's really not that exciting, uh, partially because maybe it's, it wasn't Matt Reeves fault. Maybe it's the studio saying like, Hey, we don't really want a, a, a true sense of finality because we might want to make another one of these. But anyway, uh, yeah, so I went in a little bit nervous uh and the the reviews by then had started coming out and they're mostly positive and so but there were some negative ones and the stuff that the negative ones were saying uh did catch my attention because they were saying like you know it's really self-serious and very dour and all that sort of thing and so uh thankfully the film definitely won me over not that it had to try very hard but uh it won me over and what's more is uh, I found myself thinking about it quite a bit after it was over um, and not merely thinking about it from the, the standpoint of, oh, that was really enjoyable, um, I, you know, and appreciating it from an artistic standpoint, but from a thematic standpoint, the stuff that it was exploring was stuff that I found tremendously relevant to uh, today's society and, uh, and relevant to me as well um, as, a, as a person, as a Christian. Um, and I feel like that's that's a good sign. I it's it's always exciting when somebody uses, you know, a genre movie, whether it be a horror film or a superhero movie, 
to address um, and not not in just like a, a you know a half-hearted allegory kind of way but like really address the mood of uh, the the current cultural and political landscape and uh, you know it's something that George Romero did with his zombie movies and I think it's something that this movie does um, <clears throat> so I'll, I'll kick off by talking about you know some of the performances um, you know Robert Pattinson plays Batman and Bruce Wayne and I think he does a tremendous job and I think he was given really good material as well and he I think he understood what the material was trying to do um, I'll lead off by saying that uh, I wrote an article years ago for Battleship Pretension when it was announced that Robert Pattinson was going to be playing Batman and immediately people like started you know stupid petitions saying like we don't want the guy from Twilight to be playing Batman which is you know and the article that I wrote was just like this is this is rooted in people not really doing research and people only knowing the stuff they know and just refusing to acknowledge that there might be something they don't know um, which is to say yes Robert Pattinson was in Twilight and incidentally he was pretty good in Twilight but that's neither here nor there um, he was also after that he was in Cosmopolis he was in the lighthouse uh, he was in Good Time and The Rover um, he was in a really marvelous uh, movie called Damsel that I recommend that very few people saw um, you know he's been in some pretty solid movies and he's has really like risen to the challenge you know when I heard that he was going to be Batman I was actually excited I thought uh, if, well you know what actually if anything I was I, I might have been bummed going the other way which is like oh man he's doing such interesting stuff do I really like the time that he's going to spend playing Batman is time that he could be spending doing something maybe more worthwhile uh, instead of just kind of doing this generic uh, sort of thing thankfully so and I'm happy to say that whatever you know that that instinct as brief as it was uh, was wrong because this is a film that I think does some really interesting with the things with the character of Batman because uh, what I like about it is that this is a young Batman he's still kind of finding his footing he I think I've I read that it's supposed to be like his second or third year doing this and I had heard some things going in that only made me more excited about the movie one of them being that for the most part you know uh, we don't see much of Bruce Wayne. We mostly see Batman. Like 85 to 90% of the screen time, he is Batman. And when he is Bruce Wayne, you can see that he's like visibly uncomfortable. He does not like being Bruce Wayne. Um, even though that's officially who he is. Like in his mind, he's much more comfortable being Batman because that is what is allowing him to to take action against you know the city of Gotham and corruption and all that sort of thing. Um and so, you know, and, and that speaks to what they're doing with the character emotionally. That This is a character who is probably only a few years removed. I mean, maybe 15 uh, or, or maybe a little bit more. But he's, he's, you know, he's not like 20 or 30 years removed from like the death of his parents. Uh, it's still a relatively recent um, development. Development. Let's say trauma. It's a fairly recent trauma. And he has, and he's only now starting to like put that, you know, put that trauma into action uh, through, you know, the, 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 
the Batman project that he's doing. Um, but he is still clearly defining himself by what he has lost. He is defining himself by trauma. He clearly is experiencing, you know, some uh, PTSD symptoms. Uh, and as a result, he does not feel comfortable in his own skin. He doesn't feel comfortable getting close to anybody, really. Um, you know, we're very accustomed to seeing like this fatherly, uh, this fatherly relationship that he has with Alfred. He's not developed that yet. In fact, quite the opposite. He seems to want to push Alfred away. Um, and that's really exciting to me that he feels very alone and he would see, he would seem to want it that way because when you get close to people things you know bad things can happen um though he never actually verbalizes that that's one of the things that i also like is that you know a lot of the stuff that we uh can glean from who batman is in this movie is is just based on his actions and our observations it's nothing that he is really saying you know, he's not saying I'm having a hard time getting over my parents. He's not saying that. Um, it's something that we have. It, these are all conclusions that we come to. Uh, and that's an example of showing, not telling. And that's something that I very much appreciate. And so knowing that this is like an emotionally stunted, unsympathetic, angry, and we'll get back to that concept of angry, um, but this very angry Batman you know that's that's a different kind of Batman than we've seen. We saw a glimpse of it with uh, with Ben Affleck's Batman, actually. Like a, a, but that's Batman on the other side of things. He's older. I think he's getting a little bit jaded, and he's angry for that reason. But here, it's still this very vengeful Batman. Um, and I think Robert Pattinson understands how to play that, and he plays it. I think extremely well. I, I'm really impressed. Um, and I really like that it gives the character somewhere to go, not merely in this movie, but in the next movie. Like we're seeing, we're not even really starting to see Batman become the Batman we know. By the end of this, he's merely at a place where he's thinking, I think I need to be more than what I am right now. And that's exciting to see. Um, you know, the rest of the cast I think is, is really solid. I think Zoe Kravitz as uh, Selena Kyle plays... Uh, you know, a lot of the same beats, a lot of these characters, uh, specifically Riddler and uh, Selena Kyle, Catwoman, um, they ha they're playing a lot of the same emotional beats as Batman, which is they're looking at the world around them and they're responding with anger and cynicism and this feeling of either lashing out or, or hey, I got to get what's mine and, uh, you know, screw everybody else. Um, and I think that's really interesting that they're all sort of of the same... You know, they're all the same generation. We see older characters um, who have sort of learned what the world is and have either made their peace with it or they're exploiting it, whatever it is. But the young, this younger generation is still in a place where they want to make some kind of difference, but they're just going about it in, in all the wrong ways. Um, which will bring me to uh, Paul Dano as the Riddler. As you know, I'm a big fan of the Riddler as a character. Uh, here, I I was a little bit worried based on the design of the character that he certainly doesn't look like the Riddler that that we know and that we that I love. Um, they clearly modeled him on uh, the Zodiac Killer, and then his 
you know, his methods and his goals are, they aren't really the, the Riddler that I know, but that didn't really bother me because I still find the character interesting. And then some of the stuff that they do with his riddles and the idea that there's always a deeper riddle underneath the one that he's actually uh, presenting you with. That's something that uh, I, I always associate with the character and I think that they do very well. So, uh, and I think Paul Dano, like there are moments where he kind of goes flying off the handle um, in ways that might not seem to fit uh, a character like the Riddler, but um, given what they're doing with him, which is making him sort of this um, sort of a standard serial killer or, you know, something that you hear about like school shooters and that sort of thing, just this mild-mannered kind of guy who's actually like seething with rage underneath the surface and it comes through from time to time. Uh, to, not to mention the fact that like when he puts the mask on, um, not unlike Batman in that regard, uh, he kind of feels like a little bit more liberated to say what he feels and, and do what he does. So I think Paul Dano actually does a really great job, but I think the whole cast does a great job. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is an actor I've always really liked, and I think he does a, a great job as Gordon. Um, John Turturro plays Carmine Falcone, uh, who is... I like that he plays the character very subtle. He goes very much the opposite way as uh, Tom Wilkinson playing that character in Batman Begins, though I do enjoy uh, Tom Wilkinson in that role. Um, he makes him very quietly menacing. It's this idea that I've always liked, which is if you have this much power and everybody, because he's the, the local mob boss, if you have this much power and everybody knows it and everybody knows that you're willing to kill, you don't need to be loud. You can be actually very quiet. You can actually be very civil. Um, it's this. It's sort of the the Sydney Green Street from the Maltese Falcon um, uh, way of playing a, a villain, and I've always appreciated that. You also see it with uh, John Huston in Chinatown, and it feels like uh, that's what John Turturro is doing. Then uh, the opposite is Colin Farrell as the Penguin, uh, who is just buried under, you know, pounds of makeup. He looks nothing like Colin Farrell, and. On one hand, that does bother me because, you know, Penguin is an overweight character and there are a lot of overweight actors out there that would have loved to play that character, um, especially the way he's written. You know, they could be over the top and really enjoy themselves with the character. Um, but they decided to go with Colin Farrell, who I think is a really great character actor. Um, and maybe he felt, you know, maybe he as an actor felt liberated underneath all that makeup to just be as big as he wanted to be. And he is a lot of fun. You know, the character doesn't play a big role. He's not a primary villain. He's a secondary villain. Um, but uh, but Colin Farrell is clearly really enjoying himself, and I'm enjoying him in the part. Um, I, I had no doubt that he would be a lot of fun to watch. Um, it's more just like knowing that uh, that's, that's an overweight role going to a not overweight actor. You know, and when you're when you're a, a, a bigger, you know, if you're a bigger guy in Hollywood, there are a handful of roles that you're like, all right, there's Huey Long. If you're British, there's uh, Winston Churchill. And as far as fictional characters, you know, you've got your Dennis Nedry, you've got uh, Falstaff, you've got Santa Claus and you've got the Penguin uh, characters that you just know are bigger. So we're going to it's like, all right, I've got a chance here. Um, but that, uh, that did not happen. Uh, and that's okay because Colin Farrell did a great job. Um, anyway, so the whole cast is great. I really, 
I, I think the the visual aesthetic of the film is solid without being overly self-conscious I think it's a very uh, good-looking film I really like its color palette specifically you know there's a lot of a lot of browns and you know orange and yellow and like a lot of warm colors um, which also kind of makes everything look pretty dirty um, and uh, given what Gotham City is that's not surprising uh, the choice to have it raining as much as it as it does is a very uh, film noir inspired choice but uh, I do think that it works for for the movie um, I love Michael Giacchino's score, uh, especially the Batman theme, that it is just so big and so bombastic, and it just it feels like dread. Um, and so, like anytime, <laughs> anytime Batman is like walking towards someone with the with the uh, intent to do them harm, which is to say, most of the time, and that and that music comes up. Like it really does a good job of creating uh, empathy with that uh, with that criminal because you're like, oh my gosh, you know, death itself is coming for me. Um, so yeah, uh, and 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 I do enjoy just not merely the the cinematography, but also just the visual design of the costumes and the characters. Like this more more so even than the Nolan verse, uh, the the Nolan uh, Batman universe um, is trying to create a a Batman where it all seems very feasible, you know, from his Batmobile to the, the, the Riddler's costume, it all just feels so pieced together by these characters. And, uh, that's, I don't know that, that worked for me. I know that there are probably some people that are going to be like, okay, that's good for one movie, maybe even two, but eventually I'm going to want to see, you know, uh, a, a more uh, a more uh, polished costume and maybe we'll get that maybe we won't um, but as as for what this movie is and what it's trying to do I think I think it's very well realized um, visually um, from an acting standpoint from a storytelling standpoint because I do appreciate how long the movie is um, it does feel like one of those uh, I don't know what you call it in comic books it's not a mini series but it's not a one shot either you know the killing joke is a one shot but you know hush or the long halloween or no man's land that's not you know that that feels like a, a comic book miniseries whatever you'd call it um and this feels like that it feels like this is batman's adventure trying to find out who the riddler is and stop him and along the way he encounters catwoman he encounters penguin uh and he just get us and falcone and he just gets a sense of uh, a deeper sense of what Gotham City is, and um, and that that is what those feel like to me. So, uh, yeah, I I really liked this movie. It's it's a film that I feel like I would like to go and see again. Um, I think I might appreciate it even more a second time. I could also see knowing what the film is. Maybe some of the some of the imperfections uh, become a little bit more apparent. Uh, apparent. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited to see it again. And uh, and I'd love to know what you guys think. Like I said, there are some people that consider the film way too dour, um, which I could see. Uh, there really is no sense of humor to it. There's maybe one or two jokes that incidentally I think work. But, uh, you know, this is a, a, a fairly humorless film. But I think that's 
I think that's as it should be. I think it really is reflecting the emotional state that Bruce Wayne, or more specifically Batman, is in. He is he is a humorless guy. He is not interested in traditional human emotions. He is only interested in vengeance. Uh, vengeance. He's only interested in anger and justice. Um, and along those lines, that's that was one of the one of my big takeaways is that, you know, when we think of who Batman is, uh, we think of, you know, uh, especially I'd say because of the the Nolan films, uh, a character who sees himself as a symbol, you know, something that people can strive to, you know, something that gives people hope, um, and while still like trying to maintain this idea that there is such a thing as justice, um, even if it is vigilantism. Uh, and that is not the Batman that we get in this movie. You know, this Batman, when asked like, what are you? We're so accustomed to someone saying, what are you? And he says, I'm Batman here. He says, I'm vengeance. And vengeance is not something that Batman was ever really about. He was about justice, uh, you know, a, a, a truer justice than, you know, the law could provide. More specifically, the the corrupt Gotham City law. Um, so he's about justice, uh, and he's about hope, um, and he's about incorruptibility. But he's not about vengeance. Um but this one is because he, as I said before, he is allowing himself to be defined by his loss. He's allowing his own experiences and his own emotions to come into play. And he is he's taking his loss out on Gotham City. He has chosen not to kill. So there is that. But he will just just physically destroy people Um in ways that you know some would see as as pretty cool and it and it is cool up until the moment you realize that you know there there's the scene fairly early in the film when uh, a bunch of you know a bunch of thugs are, are terrorizing this this old man and then Batman shows up and beats them all up rather mercilessly and then the old man you know Batman looks at the old man and the old man says please don't hurt me and I feel like that's very interesting to see because if if Batman were more uh, not so much merciful, but like if if he wasn't only about vengeance, then I think someone that he was protecting would be able to recognize that that's what he's doing, as opposed to just just beating people mercilessly uh, in such a way that you think like that that even if you're the innocent. Uh, you might think, oh, I'm next. And I feel like there it's an interesting bookend because by the end of the film, after the Riddler's plan has been foiled, but after it has taken full effect and a lot of damage has been done, uh, there's a scene where there are a group of people that are like huddled under some wreckage and Batman like extends his hand uh, for them to take it. And they all look very reluctant, um, but eventually they do. And he like pulls them out of of the wreckage and I think that's you know over the course of the film Batman realizes that he can't only be vengeance he can't only be about fighting or stopping uh, the, the the criminal element 
it has to be about helping. It has to be about extending, you know, protection um, to people that have done no wrong. And, you know, so you get this nice contrast from him at the beginning towards him at the end, you know, um, that he has more to contribute than just punching people a lot. Um, it's not even, you know, because if you're vengeance, then that means you come in after the fact. Um, whereas if, if you are justice or if you're a symbol of hope, that means you can be right there in the middle, just helping people, um, and trying to keep people safe. And so I think that's, I think that's very interesting. Um, because, and I'm going to speak in spoilers here, uh, because it's, you know, to talk about the themes of the film, I kind of have to, uh, there are some really interesting, uh, things that we see here, like the, the big line, which is what he says, you know, in that early scene with, with that uh, bunch of thugs is he says, I'm vengeance. And then people refer to him as that throughout the, the film. Um, I think somebody calls him Mr. Vengeance. Uh, and then there at the end when Riddler's plan is being enacted uh, by all of these copycats uh, and then they unmask one of the copycats and they say, who are you? And then that person says, I'm vengeance. And then when you look at what Riddler's plan is and what his motivation is, he is, you know, often very brutally killing uh, major government officials like the mayor, the police commissioner, the district attorney. You know, those are those are big guys. Um, But he's doing it because he sees a world of injustice, a, a world in which the people that were meant to protect us and serve us. Uh, are not doing that. In fact, they're doing exactly the opposite. They're putting us in danger so that they can protect themselves and serve themselves. And so he wants to put an he wants to expose that and then put an end to that by putting an end to them. And while he is willing to kill and Batman is not, uh, in his mind, they are working together. They have the same goal. They are vengeance. Riddler is not interested in being a symbol. Well, I guess he is a little bit, but a symbol of vengeance. Uh, He wants to inspire people to, you know, take up arms and shoot, not necessarily randomly into a crowd, but to, you know, shoot people from afar. And And honestly, that scene at times seemed a little crass to me. But when it comes right down to it, I felt like it was very relevant because given... All the different groups that you see these days that feel perfectly justified in being violent, um, even even though they are on completely opposite sides of the spectrum uh, politically, uh, I think it speaks to this idea that like when somebody is angry, they feel perfectly justified to do anything that sati- uh, satiates that anger. And that, I think, is a big part of what the film is is trying to say, is that you can't only define yourself as anger because it can lead to a lot of destruction. Um, and I really, and that, that moment when Riddler's Thug identifies himself as vengeance, that was a really powerful moment. I wasn't really expecting it. And, it's, and it, it threw everything that we had just seen into pretty sharp relief where you realize that, like, 
yeah, to most people that are not, you know, criminals, Batman is just this vigilante going around doing things. And who knows when he's, you know, is he going to be Rorschach from Watchmen where any kind of crime, any kind of immorality is, is seen as something that should be avenged, something that should be punished. Uh, you know, and so the film really exploring that idea, that idea of, of even if you have been, wrongfully treated even if you have just been wronged like Bruce Wayne was wronged uh, that that does not entitle you to act solely on that to act as vengeance to embrace anger as like the only uh, attribute that matters because it will lead to very bad destructive decisions um and so the, the companion film that I'm picking is one that uh, we did an episode about uh, many, many years ago, a film that I uh, really liked when I first saw it and then really didn't like for a while. And now I'm somewhere in the, somewhere in the middle where I see the value of it, and that's Paul Haggis's Crash, a film that I think has only become, from a, from a, a sociopolitical standpoint, I think has only become more problematic. You know, it's uh, this movie about race very overtly about race written by this white guy um and a film in which like racism is just is is all very obvious you know it's on everybody everybody's wearing it on their sleeve um it's not like this pervasive thing but it's this very direct thing um and i remember roger ebert referred to it as like a fable which would allow these characters to be so overt about things like this is not meant to mimic the reality we live in. It's meant to be something a little broader. Um, and so looking at it that way, uh, I do appreciate it. And I think it's, I think it's a well shot film. I think it's well edited. Um, and as a portrait of anger, just like a larger pervasive anger, I think it's pretty good. And given what, you know, uh, some movies that have been made, Recently, like the movies of Adam McKay or uh, the movie Mother by um, Darren Aronofsky, uh, sort of these big shotgun blasts, uh, which are you know seen as uh, what is it like? What are people, how, how have they been described? Like uh, a filmmaker's howl, you know? Uh, they're they're like frustrated uh, attempt to get at something, at some kind of truth. Um, and this feels like that, albeit maybe um, a slightly more controlled howl, uh, and and one that may think it's being more <laughs> profound than it is. But I do think that it's it's a film that shows character, not every character, but a lot of characters who are just so frustrated, so angry, so unforgiving. Um, that it starts to color the way they see the world and anybody that is not like them. Uh, there's a uh, an extended monologue that, you know, is not meant to be a monologue. Um, it's it's meant to be a, a character talking into you know talking to somebody on the phone, uh, but we only see her side of it. The character's played by Sandra Bullock, and she's just talking about how angry she is and how it seems to manifest itself by like zeroing in on people's 
race and she says i just thought that i would wake up today and i would feel better but i was because she incidentally she had her car stolen had a had a, a gun in her face and so she starts to lash uh, lash out at uh, you know people that are not white uh and so she says I, I just thought that i would wake up today and i would feel better but i was still mad and i realized that it had nothing to do with my car being stolen i wake up like this every morning um and so you know there's there's this uh, a character in the film played by matt dillon who is a police officer he is a character whose job it is to serve and protect and he is also very angry and he's uh, I would venture to say that he is actually racist. Um, and so there's a, uh, and you, you find out not even so much why, but you, you, cause I don't mean to suggest that like some, like everybody who's racist, like, Oh, there, there's a very clear reason as to why they're racist. Uh, sometimes it's just, just general prejudice. Um, but in his case, you know, he tells this story about, uh, about his father, uh, you know, getting kind of screwed in his business by uh, like affirmative action policies and stuff like that. And so he's, he's very angry about that. And so he, he also lashes out uh, at specifically African-Americans. And so that's definitely a, a, a worthwhile storyline uh, these days. But, uh, but there's a, a, a very uncomfortable scene where he pulls over uh, this well-to-do African-American couple and essentially like sexually uh, harasses, if not straight up assaults uh, the, the woman um, and his partner played by Ryan Philippi is like, well, what are you doing? This is, you know, this isn't appropriate at all. Uh, and so this, this cop played by Matt Dillon in an Oscar nominated performance um, in the moment, like you're just like, well, why is he doing this? This is horrible. Uh, and then, Later on uh, in the film, he, there's a situation where uh, there's a car accident that has happened and he's like the first one there. And so somebody is stuck in the car and he has to go in and uh, the car is going to be going to explode soon. So he goes in and sure enough, it is the woman that he has assaulted and she sees him and he sees her and... And she doesn't want anything to do with him, even though, uh, even though her car is about to explode. And so he is trying to, he's trying to help her, but she doesn't want it, want his help because of what he's done. And in this moment, like he's trying to do what he actually is supposed to be doing and what he wants to do. He wants to help her, but because of his previous actions that are motivated by, uh, an anger towards this you know towards the world and towards this group that has actually done nothing against him um he's not able you know he's not able to to do this thing that uh that he is that he was always meant to do uh and so he's like trying to like forcefully grab her and pull her out and she's fighting him and then he finally like yells like i'm not going to hurt you and that gets her attention but what I like about it is that she's not being seen as irrational here. This is very much about like him realizing that he that this is all on him. This is all he is the one to blame here. Uh, and then finally, because of uh, because she has 
partially has no choice, but she's chosen to trust him, then he is finally able to like save her before her car blows up. It's a really it's a really complicated moment in a film that I don't think is particularly complicated. Um, but this idea that the people that hurt us um, could actually be in a position to help us, the people that are supposed to help us could wind up hurting us, and then what do we do in the meantime? Uh, do we allow ourselves to be hurt again um, or, or the possibility of that? Uh, do we forgive? What can we forgive? Incidentally, the companion film was almost uh, Magnolia, but I think I've used that as a companion film before. Um, and it, I, I think this scene is beautifully acted and, and really well shot and edited. I think it's just a really well put together sequence. And it is this kind of thing. I'm sure there are plenty of people, which I'll address in a moment. I'm sure there are plenty of people that would say like, oh, this, this redeems the cop. And that, and that he doesn't deserve redemption. And I think an argument could be made that, yeah, maybe he doesn't. But at the same time, is someone being redeemed so terrible of a thing? Being redeemed doesn't necessarily mean being let off the hook. Like what he did was still horrendous. This does not negate that. Um, it's just him, try, you know, trying to at least mitigate the, the, the impact of his terrible actions before. And so... I don't know. It's it Crash is a film that I, I have a, a an odd relationship with. It's a film that's uh, it's very popular to dislike, but I do think it's a solidly made film and one that has these little moments of that. No, it's not a little moment, but it has these moments of complexity that I really appreciate because increasingly <laughs> the it feels like the world that we're living in is not very complex. Uh, the world we're living in is, is very black and white, and it's a very angry world um, with not a great deal of room for forgiveness, even in the world of uh, film criticism. Um, so I won't go into too much detail, but uh, there was a film critic who recently reviewed uh, the Pixar film Turning Red, and his review was not very good, in my opinion, and... He, he talked about how limited the audience would be for it. Uh, and you know, the main character is like a, a, a tween. I think that's what they still call it. Like a, like a, a 12 or 13 year old uh, Asian American girl. Um, and so he seemed to think that just the nature of the story uh, and maybe the specific demographics of the main character would be very limiting as far as the audience. And that caused a lot of people to get very upset with this guy because, you know, he's just like like so many other people, including me. Uh, he's just a just a white, straight, you know, middle aged uh, male critic. And, you know, people like really took him to task saying, like, as a critic, it's your it's your job to try and see things from the perspective of the main character. And if you feel like the film is not doing a j good job creating that empathy then by all means say that but yeah everything is limited you know the minute you have a main character who is anything uh you run the risk of uh of alienating anybody who doesn't fall into those specific demographics it's what the film does with that and so uh people like hit him really hard and they said like oh your racism is coming out and, and your privilege is coming out all of this stuff okay fair enough but then I saw that he apologized on Twitter and he said, you know, all these responses, like, I'm very happy that I that I got them because it makes me realize that maybe I need to do a little bit of work on myself as far as how I approach movies and all this sort of thing. 
And I thought it was actually a pretty good apology. Uh, you know, he, he was thanking people for the, the harsher comments, uh, not merely, you know, and, and did not make himself out to be, uh, a martyr of some kind. But, uh, what got me was the, the, so many people responding to that apology, which was on Twitter, uh, and saying like, oh, well, you're only saying that because people came down hard on you. You're only saying that because of this, or it's like, well, maybe you should just be different. Like there weren't many people that accepted his apology. They wanted to stay angry. They seemed to think that accepting his apology would be to excuse his behavior when in fact that's not at all what accepting an apology is and that isn't what forgiveness is uh and and it just and more and more it just feels like nobody's giving each other the benefit of the doubt and i'm so sorry if i sound like like you know a milk toast howard beale or something like that although he was mad as hell and he wasn't going to take it anymore i'm actually trying to go the opposite way. I'm trying to, uh, to lessen people's, uh, anger. Um, but yeah, it just like, I did an episode last year with, uh, Nathan Potter or maybe it was two years ago. I don't know. I've lost track of time with Nathan Potter talking about the nature of forgiveness. And, and I, as I, as I look at the world around me and I see people and I, by the way, I'm not just, it's easy to talk about cancel culture and talk about like, Oh, people on the left, it's people on the right too. Uh, it's everybody. Nobody seems really interested in empathizing with one another and sympathizing with one another. And if somebody's done something wrong, uh, everyone just wants that person to be like pilloried. And if the person apologizes, then that's not enough. Like essentially what people seem to want is for that person to have not made that mistake as though people don't make mistakes. I don't know. It's it, it really gets to me and it really fascinates me because I'm somebody for whom forgiveness, especially forgiveness of other people was very and forgiveness of myself was very difficult. Um, and I think secretly I, I kind of held it as a badge of honor. I think we all like the idea of being cynical and I think there's a certain romanticism to not trusting people. Like I was just watching the movie Uncharted, which is not very good, by the way. Although I still kind of enjoyed it. But there's a scene where, you know, Mark Wahlberg says, like, I don't trust anybody. And I think, you know, our, like characters that we like, especially male characters, but not not exclusively, uh, when they say they don't trust anybody, we think like, yeah, you shouldn't. There's, there's, it, there's a certain nobility, a certain toughness that comes with not trusting people. Um, and as re- and and holding grudges and not forgiving people when they've when they've harmed you, um, and I think I bought into that romanticism, and I think a lot of people did. I think I think when when I look at the way people respond to mistakes or and and by the way, like some mistakes are really horrible. Somebody saying something really t- really awful or something doing something really awful. Some mistakes are unforgivable and and certainly there are consequences sometimes legal consequences to somebody doing something but uh the uh, there is this feeling of like we we cannot let anyone not even let them off the hook but we just cannot forgive someone we need to hold on to our anger uh hold on to our rage um 
because and no one will say it but like it makes us feel really good it makes us feel very righteous i think all all anger has sort of become righteous anger um i have this quote here from frederick uh, uh beekner who says of the seven deadly sins anger is possibly the most fun to lick your wounds to smack your lips over grievances long past to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back in many ways it is a feast fit for a king the chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself the skeleton at the feast is you um i really like that quote because i think it it acknowledges that staying angry feels really good because if you're angry at someone else then that allows you to not focus on your own mistakes and your own frailty uh and and i think that's a very and it's a very unchristian attitude frankly in my opinion um and this is a christian show and in on this show we emphasize forgiveness um not to suggest that we excuse actions or that we don't hold people to account um or that we don't rebuke people and it doesn't necessarily mean that we will always put ourselves in the position of being hurt again you know i'm not suggesting that uh going back to the Batman, I'm not suggesting that if there's political corruption that we all just say, hey, you know what, uh, we forgive this guy. It's like, no, this this person should be removed from office, maybe even put in jail because that is justice. But vengeance is not, is not our goal as Christians. Our goal is to protect people that are being hurt. And if that means removing the people that are doing the hurting, so be it. But it should be done out of a sense of justice and out of a sense of understanding that we ourselves are far from perfect. I have many Bible verses here that will talk about anger and vengeance and forgiveness and pride um, because I think lack of forgiveness for other people can be born out of uh, the refusal to acknowledge that we have things that we need to be forgiven for. Um, so I'm going to rattle through these and essentially this is going to be a situation where I'm just going to go sort of one right after another. I'm going to identify where they can be found. Um, but the point of this is so that like you can understand so that we can all understand that like cumulatively, um, the Bible has a lot to say about this subject. So we're going to kick things off with James 1, verses 19 through 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Proverbs 29:11. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 8 through 9. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay, on the contrary pardon me, Repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 
14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Deuteronomy 32, 35. It is mine to avenge. This is God uh, saying this. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. Proverbs 20.22 Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will avenge you. Romans 12.17-21 Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And finally, Luke 17, 3 and 4. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So that's tough. You know, the, the Bible does not say that anger is inherently a bad thing. But I think it does say that, you know, human anger and this, this instinct to act on that anger so that we can repay evil with evil, uh, that that is a sinful impulse and can only lead to bad things. Uh, and in fact, we need to go against those impulses. Um, and we need to actually show love to the people that have hurt us. And we need to show compassion to even the worst people. That does not, that does not actually mean that you are condoning what they're doing. There are consequences to actions. And in fact, if you deny uh, those consequences, if you, if you ignore that, then you are doing an injustice, not merely to the person that has been hurt, but also an injustice in a larger sense, and you're not doing any good for the person that is uh, perpetuating the injustice. So... You know, that is the difference between justice and vengeance. You know, justice is something that betters everyone. Vengeance only hurts. And, it might, and I guess hypothetically, vengeance could bring a certain sense of uh, closure to, to people. But at the end of it, there is destruction. And so, you know, this is, is something that I've, uh, I've been thinking about lately um i'm in a in a men's bible study that is going through a a book that is talking about like how radical christianity is and a lot of it has to do with grace and forgiveness and 
so I think that's been on my mind lately. And I just feel like at the moment we live in a very unforgiving culture that if you say the wrong thing that people, you know, maybe even with the best of intentions, people who want to try to protect those that might be marginalized by society, uh, but they lash out and they are not at all interested in reconciliation. They're not at all interested in, uh, in like real, actual justice or protection. They are interested only in hurting the people that have uh, that have been hurting others. Um, and so, essentially, they are they are acting vengefully, and they are not interested in forgiveness. They're not interested in reconciliation. And so um, there's a quote here by, by Tim Keller. And when he says, he says, uh, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you are actually worshiping. When such a thing is threatened, your anger is absolute. Your anger is actually the way the idol keeps you in its service, in its chains. Therefore, if you find that despite all the efforts to forgive, your anger and bitterness cannot subside, you may need to look deeper and ask, what am I defending? What is so important that I cannot live without? It may be that until some inordinate desire is identified and confronted, you will not be able to master your anger. You know, in in the case of Batman, he is not really able to master his anger. Certainly, the Riddler is not able to master his anger. Um, and that is because there is actually something underneath that. Um, something that they are not able to let go. Not to suggest that Bruce Wayne should let go of the death of his parents. Uh, that is a, a huge, terrible thing. Um, merely that he shouldn't let himself be defined by that. Um, and as Christians, the only thing that we should ever be defined at, and by the way, as always, if you've managed to, uh, to, to do this, then please email me and tell me how how to do it easily. Anyway, uh, the only thing that we should be defined by is our relationship with God and God's love for us. If we let that dictate our actions, then just like God himself, we will value justice and we will value mercy. That is what, that is what Jesus is. His death is justice, but his resurrection is mercy. And so we need to value both, and, I, and we, we tend to value one over the other uh, and think that to do so is virtuous. But no, we actually have to hold both of those in, in our hands uh, as God does. And we're not going to be able to do it perfectly, which is why God says vengeance is mine. God is the only one that can be trusted to see everything and see somebody's heart and see maybe the pain that they're going through when they inflict pain on others. As always, not to suggest that that pain is justified or excusable. But the thing that gets me, if you look at the Bible, David did some pretty horrible things, and he was called a man after God's own heart. Saul uh, persecuted Christians, and God used him. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, uh, which is a big deal, by the way, at the time. Look up what a tax what a tax collector was. Usually, it was a, a, a Jewish person uh, who was working for Rome uh, to uh, get to collect taxes from fellow Jews. 
and often skimming off the top. So he was probably corrupt on top of everything else and seen as, as sort of a traitor to his race. Um, if God can use and redeem these people, then he he can redeem anybody. Nobody is beyond redemption. We can look at the 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 cop character from Crash and we can celebrate. Um, the fact that he was able to eventually do the right thing while still mourning the wrong thing that he has done. Um, that's something we should be excited about. That's something that we should be tremendously encouraged by. I've done all kinds of awful things in my life. I've said very hurtful things. I've been very selfish um, in my life. I've bullied people. I've been petty and envious and just tremendously manipulative and self-focused and i look at that i'm just like oh my gosh this is just awful like <laughs> i i don't deserve forgiveness which is true uh but thankfully it is still extended to me and if it can be extended to me then certainly i can extend it to other people albeit imperfectly uh but i will do my best and i would en encourage all of you to do the same to uh, embrace god's love God's forgiveness for you because then that will spill out and even if you have been genuinely hurt by someone uh, you will be able miraculously to forgive them while still holding them to account for their actions um, but you refuse to define them solely by those actions instead you're able to mourn the fact that they did those things but still love them the way God does um, so, you know, this is all the stuff that the Batman made me think about, uh, because it is about someone learning that anger as a motivator is not enough. And that in fact, it will only, uh, make people fear you because they don't know where your anger is going to stop. And that is, and Batman realizes he needs to be more than that. Uh, which is why I'm very excited to see where the next film goes, because we'll see him attempting to be that, attempting to be that symbol that people, that gives people hope uh, instead of just a symbol of vengeance. So I think we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, kind of a, kind of a, a rambling ending, but uh, you know, hey, it's more than one lesson. What do you want? Um, okay, so you're welcome to uh, respond in the comments. Hopefully this was a, a an encouraging episode for you, but uh, even if it wasn't, that's okay. Um, I'd love to get your feedback anyway. So uh, you can always email me, Tyler, more than one lesson.com. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at more lessons, and you can like us on Facebook. Uh, be sure to check out more than one lesson.com where uh, we don't have a lot of posts, but usually the posts are by Bob Connolly, and he's uh, he always has a, a fun outlook on things so you can check out his articles and uh, I think we'll leave it there thanks so much for listening we'll get you next time bye